Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by a brand new, never for bo- never before done style of episode for the Goldcast. We're going to talk about it after the intro, but we have got something that we're going to be now doing once a month. We've never done this before. It's going to be badass. You're going to love it. It's going to be the best. But before we get into that, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com at The Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter at The underscore Goldcast. Like, subscribe, comment, because we like to hear from you. Yes. All right. We are greatly looking forward to this episode. Uh, We're going to talk about it after the intro, but just real quick, we've never done this before, and we're now going to be doing this at the end of every month, the final episode of the month. It will be on this this style, all right? So we're going to talk about it after the intro, but of course, as always, the greatest intro in the podcasting game today in the world of America, Goldcast Intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom! All right, so here we go. Enough with the suspense, and let's just get to it. So today's episode is going to be the first ever of what we call the gold dives. So what these are, these are going to be deep dives into games, eras, athletes from our beloved teams. We're going to start with the 49ers, and then we're going to work our way through the Warriors and even the Giants. And these are going to happen only during the offseason of the Niners. So it's going to happen, you know, for that time of the year. We're going to do them at the end of every month, and they're going to be deep dives, as we said, into games, eras, athletes, moments, and we're going to space in a whole episode kind of just going deep into this stuff. It's going to be awesome. Today's episode, what we're going to be focused on here, today's episode, we're going to start off with my favorite Super Bowl victory of all time, which I've said before in the past, we're going to do Super Bowl 23. We're going to do a huge, huge deep dive into this. You're going to absolutely love this. We learned so much. You're going to learn so much. And we're going to, we're just, we're going to just get into it. Now, before we get started, Raymond, anything you want to add to that? No, other than let's get started. I had I hadn't seen well actually I hadn't seen the game in years so to be honest my I was a ch- we were both children when this game came out and our attention span was obviously not that that uh, attentive towards the game when it actually did happen in real time but being adults kind of going back over it go over the game after years of not seeing it um, it was kind of refreshing it was like watching a brand new game there was plays I forgot so when they did happen I, I had a natural reaction to them as if uh, as if we were watching it in real time so that was pretty exciting and to learn all the stats and the history behind it that I hadn't known before um, was all really cool yeah it definitely was 
super excited. Cannot wait to do this deep dive with you guys. So we're going to take you back now to Super Bowl 23, 49ers versus the Bengals. For nearly a quarter of a century, the Super Bowl had been searching for this scenario. Pro football's best quarterback taking pro football's best team the length of the field for the winning touchdown in the final minutes. Let's get into it. Let's start first with the run-up, Raymond. So the run-up, this is our first area. We're just going to talk about, We I want to break down for you, the audience, kind of lay out the scene as to the, the story, the story of the 49ers leading up into this one. And we're going to start with their second Super Bowl victory back in 1984. So 1984, 49ers, they're, first, they're the first seed in the NFC, right? And they're the first divisional game, and this is all going to come into play in a second because it's kind of a trip. So their first divisional game, the 49ers defeat the Giants 21 to 10. They beat the they smack the Bears in the NFC Championship 23 to zip. Zip. That's crazy. And then they win Super Bowl 19. 49ers smack the Dolphins 38 to 16, taking down the NFL MVP of the year, Mr. Dan Marino. Now, 85 comes around. All right. The 49ers are actually the fifth place wild card seed. They go to the playoffs every year leading into 88. So this is a straight run for these guys. 49ers are the fifth seed. They're second in the NFC West. This is the same year Jerry, Jerry Rice is drafted. Roger Craig is becomes the first player in NFL history with 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. We lose in the opening round wild card weekend. The Giants smack us. 17 to 3. Now remember we defeated the Giants in the opening round the previous year. So they beat us the following year 17 to 3. Now in 86, 49ers are the third seed in the NFC total, right? They're first in the NFC West. Joe Montana, Joe Montana's forced to retire due to back injury. He's out for 2 months only to come back to ignore the doctors basically and come back in week 10. That's crazy, right? I had no idea that he was forced to retire in 1986. Did you know that? Well, I told him the likelihood of him playing again was pretty slim because his injury was pretty horrific. Yeah, and like Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, he <laughs> just got right back up. 49ers lose again in the divisional round. They get shellacked by the Giants. Do you know the score to this game, Ray? I do not. Oh, God, you're going to hate this. The score is 49 to 3 in favor Ugh. of the Giants. How brutal is that? Hey, Bill Parcells was a good coach back then. They won he two really... championships in that decade. Yes, he was. So, 49 to 3. Now, remember, this is why this is why I brought up the very the very first one. 3 years in a row, 49ers and the Giants have faced each other in the divisional round. Niners won the first round, Giants won the second two. That's just really interesting. That's I find that stuff fascinating. What does it mean? Nothing. Just a weird coincidence. <laughs> so then 1987, 49ers postseason run. They're first. They're the number one seed in the entire NFC. Number one seed in the NFC. All right? Divisional round. They face the lowly Vikings and lose 36 to 24 in what was considered one of the biggest upsets ever. 49ers lose to the Vikings in the opening round. They're the number one seed. How crazy is that? So then, 1988, 
49ers, here we are. They're second in the NFC, first place in the NFC West. The Montana and Young alternated as starters during the season. How many games did Young start, Ray? Do you know? Three. He started three games. He was two and one. Three different. Two and one. 49ers event. But he played He played in 11 games throughout the season. He started three games. So there was a lot of back and forth between both quarterbacks and, and Bill. Mainly, this was all came from Bill Walsh back during that season. Because Joe Montana was coming off of injuries, and there was question as to whether he would ever regain his former self. And so Bill Walsh, having retained that information, having understood this information, was starting to move over to Steve Young because he has he's the one who went through the the – He's the one who pushed to get Steve Young traded to the Niners in the first place because he liked his style of play and wanted to groom him. Um, but of course, you know Joe Montana, being the player he was, you know, obviously made the case to you know wanted to prove everyone wrong and that he could still play and that he still wanted to play, and you know the rest is history. So, bam, here we are. Eighty-eight. It's now been four years since the last Super Bowl victory. They've alternated as starters through the season. Divisional round. Okay, January 1st, 1989. The 49ers avenge their loss to the Vikings the year before. They kick their ass. You know what the score is? 34 to 9. Then the NFC Championship. Who is waiting for them? The Bears again. Now, here's what I find really fascinating. I did not know this. Of the six Super Bowl appearances we've gone to, four of them, Raymond, have been through only two teams. Twice to the Cowboys, our first victory and our last current victory, and then twice to the Bears. We had to defeat the Bears on our run to the Miami one and then had to defeat the Bears here on our run to to beat the Bengals. That score, we kicked their ass again, 28-3. to You ought to be ashamed of yourselves, Chicago. So then, and now here we are, Super Bowl 23. Super Bowl 23 uh, was, it's funny, when going through the, the, looking back on this game, this game was not a high-scoring game. Final score was 20 to 16. Not a high-scoring game. Pretty much a huge defensive battle. Now, what's interesting is that it was the first really tight game that we'd had in quite some time. Uh, most of the previous Super Bowls had all kind of been ass whoopings, and this was the first really close game. 49ers were favored by seven. They were the the they, even though they were their final season record was only ten and six, they were still favored because they'd been there before, and Joe Montana had already won two. And so that, and on the strength of Jerry Rice and Bill Walsh, they were favored, even though the Bengals were were the number one seed in the entire NFL going in. What was their final what was their record rate? The Bengals uh, record? The Bengals record was twelve and four. Twelve and four. There you go. And they had so, nine Pro Bowlers to San Francisco's six Pro Bowlers. And wasn't Boomer And the NFL MVP in Boomer Assize. Boom. So there you go. So the game is pretty tight and it's mostly it's most notable. The game is most notable for what happened in the second half of the game and in particular in the fourth quarter. So, but we're just get going through the game. Originally the game, if you go box score, 
the the first half ends three to three. The the defenses just came out to play, and they really did. They really put up an impressive showing, and this was the first tie in Super Bowl history at halftime. It never happened before. Now remember, there's only been you know 22 of these previously. It's not like a lot of a lot of stuff hadn't happened yet. Then in the second half, Niners take the lead at six. Then the Bengals, they get it back. You have the box score there laid up in front of you, Ray? In the third quarter? Yeah, so, okay, so here it is. So third quarter. It's three to. Well, it's six to three. And then the Bengals come back and they score a touchdown. And now it's 10-3 to in favor of the Bengals. And the commentators are even talking about at the time how impressive this is because the because the Niners were are supposed to be the favorites. And here they are losing, losing 10-6. to Then the 49ers immediately answer back and they score a touchdown. And then it's now, then the Bengals come back and answer with another field goal. And now it is... 16, right? 16 to 13. Three minutes left in the game. The 49ers have three minutes. They have to basically travel about 92 yards. And the the thing this game is probably the most famous for is something that didn't even happen during the game. It happened in the huddle. And apparently, Harris Barton, Randy Cross, a bunch of linemen are freaking out. And Harris Barton in particular is really freaking out. And Joe Montana stops. It's a during a TV timeout. He stops, and he points past the lineman, and he goes, "Hey guys, I think that's John Candy in the stands. I think that's John Candy over there." And the whole team stops. They stand up. They turn around, and they start discussing whether or not they believe that's John Candy. And they turn around, and Joe Montana says, "All right, guys." After they decide that it is John Candy, he goes, "All right, guys, let's win this game." And then they got down, and they traveled 92 yards in three minutes. Jerry Rice goes out of his mind. Joe goes out of his mind. Final touchdown to John Taylor to take the score 20-16, to and the game ends. And this drive, which oftentimes sometimes has been called the drive, but the drive is actually goes to John Elway. This drive, we affectionately know it as the John Candy drive. And it, the Harris Barton basically said that his belief was that Joe had said this because he was trying to calm everyone's nerves. Everyone was freaking out. Harris Barton was freaking out. Randy Cross was freaking out. They were just like, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? we got to go so far. We're, you know, we're down. We have to score a touchdown. And he basically said, he said this to just calm their nerves down, get their mind off of the logistics and the reality of how far they had to go. And just get them thinking about something differently for a second. Cool their nerves down so that then when they turned around, he could say, all right, now let's win this game. And then they went and they won the game. And it was considered one of the greatest comebacks in Super Bowl history, one of the greatest final drives in Super Bowl history. And to me, the the reason it's my favorite game is because of the legend and the aura around this John Candy drive. I just think it's something out of a movie. It's so storybook. And it's really funny because in – when me and Ray were doing our research, Joe Montana kind of kind of has really kind of walked away from the legend of it. That's so Joe Montana, right? Like he just has kind of been like, oh, I was just talking. And that's really, you know, I was just talking to Harris Barton because he always noticed movie stars. And so I just thought he'd find that interesting. It was a long time out. He really has downplayed this 
idea that he was trying to calm their nerves. He really just says, oh, I was just bringing it up. It really had nothing to do with it. But Harris Barton, you see any of the interviews with Harris Barton, he was like, this was brilliant because he calmed me down. He got me calm. He got everyone calm. He calmed everyone down. And that is really kind of the brilliance the brilliance of this, this moment is just John Candy drive. And it really, for me, that is my favorite part about this game is the aura behind this drive. I think the game is exciting. I think it's 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 jam-packed with action, a lot of defensive action, but this final drive, the magic, it really cemented, it cemented the dynasty. It cemented Bill Walsh and Joe Montana's legacy as a true, the first real true coach, quarterback, um, dominance, the kind, very similar to what we're seeing with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, minus the cheating <laughs> and all the controversy and owners... Uh, Never mind. I'm not going to talk. Touch that. Touch that. No, I think we right should. There. Think we should hold off on the, on the latest controversy <laughs> until all the facts come out. But yeah, yeah. Not surprising. Not surprising. But uh, but really, just an interesting, just a really storybook ending. It was Bill Walsh's final game as the head coach. Carried off into the sunset. He cried during the post game interview. He 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 was driven to tears when asked if this was his final game. And it was, and it cemented his legacy. He walked off into the sunset with his final win being a Super Bowl. And this is the end of that era. This really is the end of that era for the 49ers because the following year is George Seifert. And then, you know, that's that's Joe Montana's last Super Bowl. And then he's traded two years later. And we have the Steve Young era. So this really is the end of the Bill Walsh era. And the next game, Super Bowl 24 is the beginning of the transition to the next era for the 49ers and this really is the end it's the most storybook ending that you could possibly ask for this coach quarterback tandem and Raymond your thoughts I've been talking for like 12 minutes straight here give me your thoughts on Super Bowl 23 and then we'll we'll get into the different um, topics that we have here uh, the game was surprisingly very slow in the beginning it was all defense some things that kind of stood out to me was that early in the game, both teams lost two key players. So we lost Steve Wallace and the Bengals lost uh, Tim Crumry, who was their best uh, defensive lineman. He was their all pro uh, nose tackle. He went to the Pro Bowl that year. So we lost Steve Wallace on in the first series, the first series for the Niners and Crumry went down the 14th play of the game. So right there was there was some controversy, whereas the Niners lost a huge protector of Joe Montana, and immediately the next play after, they blitzed. They had a safety blitz and sacked Joe Montana because they blitzed the same side that Steve Wallace played on because they immediately wanted to tackle or um, attack the, uh, the backup. Um, and then conversely, you know, a couple possessions later, their best nose tackle goes down, and up to that point, they had been disrupting the rhythm of Joe Montana, and we were minus one offensive line, one starting offensive lineman. Now the tables kind of even out, where they lose their best pass rusher, their best run stopper, and Joe Montana all of a sudden gets back into rhythm, and this kind of plays out for the rest of the game. So it kind of becomes one of those what ifs, like you know, what if Tim Crumry doesn't fracture his leg he like got he broke two bones on that play and he couldn't play he had to watch the rest of the game from the sideline Steve Wallace never came back in after his injury and 
that was a huge a huge blow to this team, even though they still had Boomer Sison, James Brooks, Eddie Brown, Rodney Holman, Eric Thomas, David Fulcher, Anthony Munoz. They had two two pro bowlers on that offensive line of that Bengals team. Uh, it still wasn't enough, uh, even though I felt like Boomer got pressured more. He got sacked five times. Joe Montana got sacked four times. So there was still an equal amount of pressure going on, despite the fact that we were handicapped from one starter, they were handicapped from one starter, you know, things are still pretty even. But as we can see from the numbers, Joe Montana had a really good passing game, uh, passing day. And he, he outplayed Boomer, who had a big arm, was known for having a big arm, and just couldn't couldn't match Joe Montana on the passing game, no matter what they tried. And they had a pretty decent running attack for that game. You know, they're pretty even. We had 111 rushing yards. They had 106. But there was a huge disparity in uh, field positioning and gaining ground. Uh, the Bengals only had 13 first downs. San Francisco had 23. So we had 10 more than they did. Uh, the f- first down, we passed on first down 16 times. They passed on first down s- only six times. So there was a huge difference because our running, our passing game was going so well. We were just passing, you know, prolifically and we ended up getting like 343 passing yards um, out of that day so including two touchdown passes from Joe Montana so it was uh I mean Joe Montana was 23 for 36 with 357 yards and two touchdowns had a pass rating of 115.2 Boomer Esiason was 11 for 25 so not even 50 percent 144 yards he had one pick that was Bill Romanowski who read the play tipped the ball and got a pick and that was his rookie season and Boomer Esiason's passer rating was 46.1. Um, so he had a terrible day in terms of uh, in terms of passing efficiency. Um, the ground game was a little bit different. Uh, Icky Woods kind of led the attack, and he was the rookie of the year that year. He had over 1,000 yards. But they had a great double tandem in James Brooks. And then they had uh, Wilson, who had a very controversial up-and-down career and even more controversial playoff run and ended up getting benched. Um, on the eve of uh, the the Super Bowl because of a drug drug problem, but other than that, Icky Woods and Roger Craig were pretty well matched. Twenty carries, seventy nine yards for Woods. Roger Craig was seventeen for seventy one yards, so they're pretty good. You know, I think the average carry on our side was a little bit more favorable, just by a small margin. You know, we had Roger Craig and Tom Rathman tandem. They had the Icky Woods and James Brooks tandem. And it was pretty even. It was the passing game that really made up the difference. And that majority of that was between Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. Jerry Rice had 215 yards that day. He torched them um, all over the place. There was nothing they really could do to stop him. He was targeted 15 times. Roger Craig was the second most targeted at 12 times. And he had 101 yards receiving. So he was he certainly contributed quite a bit too. And then John Frank, Tom Rathman, and John Taylor all chipped in a little bit. But uh, it was uh, mostly that the thing that stood out to me was Joe Montana's efficiency in the air game. Um, he seemed to, despite the pressure and getting sacked, he kind of kept his poise and kept feeding Jerry Rice, who just kept finding seams. Even when the ball was even a little bit out of there, Jerry Rice either made a perfect grab over the shoulder or in, a, in that one instance early in the game, he made the one-handed grab to the sideline. Um, So it was awesome. It was a, a treat to watch for sure.
and the final drive was certainly something to marvel at, especially considering that they took off all the clock on the time and just brought it down to 34 seconds, and then the defense was able to shut them down. I mean, by that point, uh, Bengals had had a history of being known as not being a comeback team. So if the fact that the Niners were ahead in a crunch time moment was a very, very favorable position, even though there was 34 seconds. 34 seconds for an Aaron Rodgers or a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady is still a lot of time for those kind of passers. But for a Boomer Esiason in that era, um, that was um, that was pretty. It was pretty slim. You know, the chances of him mounting a Joe Montana-esque drive was pretty slim. Even though they had some comeback moments that season, they weren't completely, you know, immune to to coming back at all. They did. They were able to do that, but in this particular instance, it was slim to none that they were going to, and sure enough, was the case. And you know, the rest was history. The rest was history. A uh, couple notes I had. It's annoying. One thing that first of all, the crowd goes bananas during this whole game. They're so into it. All the big tackles for the both field teams goals. too. Yeah, both teams pretty evenly, pretty evenly matched on that. Surprising. Uh, it's annoying to not be able to see the time and score at all times. It was really frustrating for me because I kept going like I kept wanting to jot when things were happening. And I just like I have no idea what part of the game we're in. Like I know we're in the second quarter, but I have no idea what the time is or what's the current score. I got to double check the box. score. OK, it's three to three. OK, like we've just become so accustomed to seeing that stuff. It was really frustrating to not have it in the corner. Uh, the NFL should just put that stuff in the corner and, and just to have <laughs> in the redos. Yeah, some things that didn't age well. The 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 HUD, the HUD of the of the 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 home viewer. There there was no HUD. It was yeah. like occasionally we would get it. The graphics were terrible for all of the plays. Reverse angle when they would do instant replays. They would yeah. do a reverse angle and they'd have to tell us reverse angle in big bold yellow letters yeah, in the corner. That the yeah, the reverse angle title card was hilarious. Reverse angle. It's like what what, what did we know it's slow motion? Like what do you think we'd be confused if it was sh- they would announce but via title card reverse angle that they were showing something in a different angle which I thought was hilarious. Uh, Chris Collinsworth is hella skinny he's so skinny he's skinny now but he's really skinny then i mean he's, he looks like a bean pole and that was his last season i believe his rookie season i think uh he went no no wasn't i don't know we we barely fact checked the bangles because this in order in order to hear the Bengals side of this you're gonna have to go to the Bengals cast and uh, we have no idea where that is or even if it exists. Maybe it's called like Tiger Stripe Cast. I'm not sure what it's called. But Bengal Stripes, I guess actually wouldn't be Tiger Stripe. It'd be Bengal Stripes. Bengal Stripe Cast. The other thing, I'm res- I was super nervous anytime Kofer kicked. For those of you who don't know, Kofer was our, our kicker. It was his rookie season. And boy, what a terrible, terrible game he had. Can we talk about that for a second, Ray? <laughs> Oh my God! This guy breed out Ray Wershing, who was, you know, known to be a much more reliable kicker. But apparently, he beat him out at the start of the season to earn the starting job, and ended up missing ten field goals that season. He was uh, so bad. He played. He played the second year. I was positive Bill Walsh cut him, but he, he played, played the next year. He, he was cut after that seasons. year. Yeah, he played both of those Super Bowl run seasons, and just was not. I mean, Robbie Gold had a better season and didn't even make the playoffs this past year than Mike Kofer did in the Super Bowl season. Uh, if that's any indication. 
even missed a field goal. A 19-yard missed a 19-yard field goal in the early in, uh, early part of the game uh, of this Super Bowl. It was yeah, we're, pretty. We're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. All right, so let's let's get into let's get into our topics. Okay, so first of all, the most iconic moment of the game. I think I think in this game, unilaterally without question, debate no debate, it has to be the John Candy drive, right? That's the most iconic moment. Is that even that huddle? Even though we can't hear what's going on in that huddle, now they'd be mic'd up and we'd have it forever. But that has to be the most iconic moment, right? The John Candy drive. I think so. That's what stood out to me as most iconic moment because, you know, we're not talking about best play per se. We're talking about the most iconic moment when it comes to that Super Bowl. That is often one of the more off script moments that everyone kind of refers to. It's been, there's half a dozen interviews referring to that particular moment, either it's Bill Walsh or Harris Barton or Joe Montana or somebody from that team that recalls that moment because and it didn't even happen on camera this was during a commercial break and according to joe montana the commercial breaks back then were even longer than they are now so they were sitting there wasting time or waiting for the referee to signal the play to get started again and joe montana recalls everyone getting very anxious and anxiety in anticipation for this drive with just a few minutes left to go in the game and and being down and so he wanted to break the tension by just referencing something off cuff and thought that that would just kind of take everyone's mind off of the anxiety for a moment and then bring them back, bring them back to it. And it proved to be uh, an effective psychological, you know, deterrent, you know, to bring everybody back, back home, bring it back, bring it back, relax everybody in this, that, because that was Joe's demeanor in- inherently, but not, not so much the case for everybody else, you know, certain. You know, every player is built differently. You know, conversely, Steve Young was the complete opposite. Steve Young was very intense, very um, anxiety and outspoken, um, was the complete opposite personality of Joe Montana. And um, and so, but uh, but this moment for me, I think, stands out as the most iconic moment for sure. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Most iconic moment, the John Candy drive. Worst play of the game. Okay, here's some nominees. Whew, we got we got a bunch. Uh, Montana's fumble on the third play of the game, a bad snap from Randy Cross, and Montana fumbles the ball, third play of the game. The next nominee is Kofer's second kick of the game. Now, again, Randy Cross is the culprit. It's a bad snap. It's a horrible snap to Steve Young. This is this is now the, the, the game is tied 3-3. Three to three. I believe it's tied 3-3. Three to three. And this is an opportunity. The 49ers have an opportunity to take the lead at 6-3. to three. Okay, this is just, just giving you guys the setup here. Randy Cross does a really bad snap to Steve Young. And Kofer goes for the kick. Now, this is the one Raymond was talking about. It is the – it's only 19 yards away. And this kick is so bad. I mean, the ball doesn't even go into the air. It literally flies towards the left tackle. It like it look it looks like almost like an onside kick. It's what it looks like. It's one of the worst kicks I've I probably actually. I'm gonna just go. I think it's the worst kick I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen a kick that bad. It was only 19 yards away, and it is the shortest miss field goal 
attempt in Super Bowl history, and that record stands to this day. I've never seen a kick that low. Remember, can, we want to talk about how bad that kick was, Ray. It was pretty. It was pretty bad, and because I hadn't seen the game in years, so I didn't even remember this particular play. I, I just remember not liking Mike Kofer. <laughs> and when they when they told me his season stats, I was like, okay, yeah, I remember definitely not liking Mike Kofer for sure. And I know you referenced Steve Young. He was not the the holder of that play. It was number nine. I'm not sure who oh. that guy was. And I don't know if the snapper was Randy Cross or if it was I no, think it's it was... A, it's a different center for that particular play, number sixty, because the after it, the play, it's Randy they, Cross. Even zo- they zoom in on the guy, and it's some different guy in a different jer- jersey. Um, so I don't know. No, it's definitely um, Randy Cross because it's definitely Randy Cross because the announcers correct themselves because they thought it was our traditional center, and then later in the game they go, "Oh no, it's actually that was Randy Cross," and they so they correct themselves later in the game because the 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 announcers. This is funny. This is how old school it was. The announcers weren't quite sure who the kid, who the center was, and they were kind of discussing it. And like it's funny because nowadays they have all that information at their at their fingertips. But yeah, it was Randy Cross. That's for sure. Got it. So for right. me, I think uh, I think it's got to be Mike Kofer's field goal. Well, to, hold on, hold on, I mean, hold on. We're not we're not done yet. I got a I got a bunch of nominees. Hold on. Oh, okay. Uh, the the offensive line, <laughs> which is maybe not the worst play of the game, but worst worst. They just could not to keep Joe upright. They got hit so many times. Uh, the next one is the. Niners allowing Jennings to return that kickoff, that kickoff return in the third quarter that he just bolts past the entire special team. Special teams did not have a good game. They had some really huge misses. Allowing Jennings to return that kickoff and them to take the lead, that now cuts cuts the lead. It's now, what, it's 10-6 to six at this point. Or Kofor's second missed field goal of the game. He had a second one in the game. What do you think, out of all those plays, what would you say is the worst play of the game? That's some good, those are some good nominees. They are, and I'm I'm actually going to stick with my first answer because the first one is an NFL record, but it's a negative NFL record. And when you perform so bad that you get a negative blemish on your record, I think it's hard to argue that. Like, you know, for example, if Brett Favre never won any Super Bowls and was terrible, his career would have ended as throwing the most interceptions, the most, you know, intercepted quarterback in NFL history, which he is to this day. But he had two Super Bowl appearances, one win, and he broke a a bunch of other good records. But that one bad record, you know, when you set a bad record, you know, it's obviously I'm talking about a whole career, but he set at the biggest game, the most important game of the season for any football team in any season, he sets a record for a chip shot. This is a chip shot, meaning actually in today's game, the extra point is kicked from a further distance than the field goal he was trying on this on this particular play, and he still missed it. Um, so for me, um, I got to go with that one. That's pretty good, man. I, I'm I'm also really torn on the special team just allowing Jennings to return that kickoff. If they don't allow that kickoff. 49ers dust them. They dust this. Well, they team. lost. They they had gained a they had gained a a a small bit of momentum after that field goal, 
and then the Bengals came back. They not only stole it back, they stole it back and then crammed it down their throat in one play. And that swung the defensively. They had momentum going into the, the ensuing possession for the 49ers. Everything just swung hard into the Bengals' favor at that point of the game. I mean, Roger Craig even had a fumble in, in that game too. Um, that was that was pretty uh, – I mean, no, 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 there's no good timing for a fumble. Per se, unless it ends up in the hands of one of our guys and he runs it in for a touchdown, you know, then then it's it's just you know synchronistic luck. But in, in that case, you know, it, it was pretty bad. But there was there was a lot of miscues by the Niners during this play. But there was a, of course they they overcame that is is the ultimate point here. But if we have to give out one shitty award, I think it has to go to Mike Kofer in my book. I think you're right, and the re- here's here's why I'm going to go with Mike Kofer on this one, because the 49ers scored a touchdown four plays later after that that when after Jennings returned that kickoff. So four plays later, 49ers boom they score they score a touchdown. So I'll give it to, I'll give it to that one because the bounce back from the Niners was very quick and they they quickly severed that off. All right, so the next our next topic is going to be called it's called the Rick. Flair Award. And the reason we call it Ric Flair is because to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so who was the man? Who was the real, the real MVP here, Ray? Who was the man? I've got some nominees. Now, obviously, we have Jerry Rice, who was the actual Super Bowl MVP. It was the only Super Bowl that Joe Montana did not win the MVP, and there's been some controversy over that in terms of who people feel should have won it. Joe Montana, ha- uh, Jerry Rice, as you mentioned earlier, uh, 15 targets, 11 receptions, 215 yards, one touchdown, and his longest was that huge 44-yard run. So that's Jerry Rice. That's one one nominee. Uh, the next nominee is Joe Montana. Should Joe is was Joe Montana r- really the man? He was 23 for 36. Uh, he had 357 yards, two touchdowns, and again, as always, zero interceptions. Or is it John Taylor? John Taylor made the final touchdown, caught the iconic pass to end the John Candy drive and sever any opportunity for the Bengals to get back in this game. He was one for one, 10 yards, one catch. He made one catch in this entire game and it was the catch that made it let's not forget also uh we'll talk about this in the best place he had that amazing uh the amazing punt return which we'll talk about later on i don't want to ruin that one yet then the last nominee and this really drives me nuts and this kind of speaks to old school football is ronnie lott now you watch that game with me ronnie lott was everywhere can you just tell the crowd how insane ronnie lott was during this game well, up, up to the point where he even kind of makes himself known, the Niners, or the rather the Bengals, were actually running the ball really effectively with Icky Woods, who was great in this one year, but only was in the NFL too. He was like 26, and is still famous to this day for the Icky Shuffle, which is a touchdown celebration he did um, back before, before touchdown dances are really a thing. I felt like they didn't really get popularized until Deion Sanders and Terrell Owens took it to another level. But the Icky Shuffle, you guys remember, there's even a commercial where he does, uh, you know, a, a a little dance number in a grocery store. But this guy had been running effectively all of his carries up to this point in about the first or second quarter 
were all positive gains until one play when he runs into Ronnie Lott and Ronnie Lott just levels him and sends him backwards to the point where the announcers had to say something to it, say something about it. And that was the first play where I felt like Ronnie Lott let his presence be known to to the Bengals offense. And then from that moment on, he was kind of all over the place, either uh, trying to read the quarterback because um, sometimes he would drop into a fake blitz where he would fake a blitz, like he's coming up to the line like he's going to blitz, which he was a threat to do back then. He could play, he could do anything, which is what made him so phenomenal. Um, he was far better than even some of the, the Hall of Fame safeties that we've come to know and love in, in more recent times. But uh, he would fake a blitz, then drop into coverage, and he almost had a pick six in one play. Had he hang, hung on, there was a couple plays that both teams had that could have really solidified big momentum swings um, that didn't end up coming to fruition. And this was one of those plays early in, in the game, shortly after the big hit on Icky Woods. He faked a blitz, dropped into coverage into the, the, short, the short routes, and then almost had a pick and would have had maybe one guy to beat uh, up into the other direction, but he missed the play. Other than that, he was all over the place, either assisting tackles or getting solo tackles. And unfortunately, that this era did not do a very good job of collecting defensive statistics outside of sacks. So bad, so bad. This is what I was saying. It was really, really annoying. From no tackles, right? No tackles are listed. We have no no idea how many tackles he had. He, had. he tackled everybody in that game. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we even went to Pro Football Reference to try to see if we could get more statistics. And they have play breakdowns. You know, it'll, but it's uh, it's hard. It's it was hard because I felt like Ronnie Lott was. You have to go like you have to go to like really specific um, game splits in order to get some of those statistics from back then. You know, but it was in the first. Actually, now I can I see it right now in one of our one of our little uh, pages here. It was ten minutes and fifty eight seconds into the first quarter, third and three. Icky Woods ran for six yards and then gets leveled by Ronnie Lott um, right in that play. It was an awesome, awesome play. But uh, he definitely deserves to get a lot more credit because even though he didn't blow up the stat sheet in that game, he certainly was a presence. He's obviously one of the field generals, so he facilitates defensive play calls uh, along with what George Seifert George Seifer gives him a, a play. He goes out and, and distributes that play to the rest of the team, and then everyone you know needs to execute. So he was basically the Joe Montana of the defense uh, for a long time. And uh, that was uh, he was certainly a, a very fun treat to watch in, in this particular game. So who 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 for you was the man? Who gets the Ric Flair Award? This one's hard. It's really hard because I feel like I mean they were they had Pro Bowl corners covering Jerry Rice, but Jerry Rice was one of the most difficult if if you were going to challenge one-on-one with Jerry Rice you were going to lose that bet nine times out of ten and they took that bet in this game and it still didn't work and so I get why he got the MVP for this game because he just shredded them 
But at the same time, if those balls don't reach him, then it's all for naught, right? If Joe Montana doesn't make that read, whether it's the first read or not, the ball doesn't get to him. And Joe Montana got pressured quite a bit. Uh, He got sacked four times. So trying to get the ball to Jerry Rice was no easy task. And I felt like that that was harder to do than Rice trying to break coverage. Not to say that that Rice didn't do a good job or that he... I'm just saying that his competition was... Joe Montana is trying to get away from five guys. Jerry Rice is trying to get away from one guy, maybe two guys at best, each each given play. So to me, I think this is one where I got to get up to Joe because Joe had 357 yards passing. Um, that's and that's having a pretty, you know, they're and that's they ran the ball just as much as the Bengals did, and so theoretically, it's like. The Bengals could have had as many opportunities to pass as the Niners did, but the only difference is that the Niners were so proficient in handling the blitz, picking up the blitz, and giving Joe Montana enough time to get the ball out. Because there was lots of times when he got pushed or he got grabbed. There's lots. Of, I mean, in today's game, there have been flags all over the place for roughing the passer, late hits, all uh, um, personal fouls. So all, many late hits. So many late hits. So everywhere. Many. <laughs> yes, and for him to be able to get the ball out and to put it in the right spot at the right time for Jerry Rice to amass the most of those uh, throws, to me, I just feel like Joe Montana put up another magical performance, not you know, not to mention the final drive of the game. So Joe Montana for you over Jerry Rice. Now here's the nominees again just for the audience. Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, John Taylor, Ronnie Lott. I... I'm really torn too because Jerry Rice just killed it in this game. I thought Joe was consistent. I feel like Walsh, the reason Walsh didn't give it to Joe is because he, I mean, Walsh was tough. And people don't really talk about that. He was as rough as Bill Belichick. He was rough, very rough. He, I think, I feel like he, the reason he didn't give it to Joe is because he, probably because he didn't like how Joe played in the first half of the game. Despite Joe put doing the best he could against a defense that was pretty stout, I'm really torn on Ronnie Lott because I was just so impressed with Ronnie Lott. He just really stood out to me in this game as just having, and that defense was monstrous, was monstrous. They held that team to three points in the first half. Granted, they held the Niners too, but they never allowed a touchdown, never allowed a touchdown the entire game. They were the only time that that that. Cincinnati scored a touchdown was off of special teams and Ronnie Lott was a big part of that I'm I'm gonna swing the other way I'm gonna I'll go I'm gonna go with Ronnie Lott I thought I thought he led that defense and I thought he really delivered he was the player that of the four nominees really just stood out to me as going wow Ronnie Lott's impact was just undeniable in this game but I think Joe Montana is completely fair I think if you think Jerry Rice is there even say if you want to say John Taylor with his one catch it's kind of like the Malcolm Butler moment of the game right the reverse Malcolm Butler which actually we're going to talk about him in a second too we have a category dedicated to Malcolm Butler so let's talk about the get lucky Raymond these are the uh, get the, the get lucky category so these are the plays where the Niners got really lucky, uh, either a couple no calls or just lucky. Here's my three nominees. I think you and I are probably going to agree on this, but number one was Lewis Billups, which you kind of mentioned before. His drop pass in the end zone 
while covering John Taylor. So, okay, so let's break this down, give you guys the history of this moment again. So the 49ers, the, the, the Cincinnati has scored, and now within four plays, Joe Montana gets the team all the way back into the end zone to try and tie the game up again. The there Joe Montana throws to John Taylor and Lewis Billups is the corner covering him. He jumps in front and is right there. This ball hits him right in the hands. And he drops the pass in the end zone. And then in the following play, Joe Montana to Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice makes the touchdown. This was one of the luckiest moments, and we probably lose the game if he catches that ball. What do you think about that? Let's talk about. I've got two more, but then what do you think about that play? I think uh, that one was pretty nuts um, because, again, this was very similar. The, for, the 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 route and the formation was a little bit different than the play that uh, Ronnie Lott had, where he could have taken a similar pass and ran it in for a pick six potentially earlier in the game. But it was a play that could have, you know, it was a backbreaker where you're trying to tie the game, it's close, you're in the red zone, and you're trying to make a, a big-time play. And instead, you give it up to the other team because you're trying to force force a, a throw. And in this case, the Billups just muffed it. He pretty much just muffed it because it hit him right in the hands. The same same thing happened to Ronnie Lott and earlier in the game where it kind of hit him in the hands. There was no one there. It's not like he got disrupted by an off uh, uh, by uh, by Jerry Rice or somebody. You know, um, it uh, it didn't. I mean, we we had a. We had a what? We had a, a a penalty on the next play, and then a another. What was it? A, oh no, no, sorry, I'm reading the uh, the log wrong. But um, it was uh. Either way, it was um. I thought it was a pretty good. It almost looked like he was going to catch it. Cause I hadn't remembered that play. So I was like, Oh my God, is he going to catch it? And then he dropped it. And I was like, geez, I was like, wow. Talk about what ifs. Like if he catches that, he completely throws momentum in the other direction. And the Niners have an even more insurmountable task behind them. They not only have to stop the next drive, but they have to get the ball back and salvage enough time to try to make another run. Um, so, but luckily it didn't turn out that way. And, I mean, Jerry Rice had torched Lewis Billups all game. So that was the one moment where Billups had a good read on him and was able to get in front of him, but was unable to make the play. Yeah, that was a rough one. Then there was John Taylor's fumble from the punt that he managed to recover. Not the not the iconic one, but the one later in the game. And it was around the third quarter, Cincinnati Bengals, remember they punt the ball. Taylor fumbles it, and they managed to retrieve the ball, but had since he gotten it, they would have been in the red zone for themselves. That was a huge, another one of those get-lucky moments where I was like, ooh, Niners got real lucky right there. Remember that play? Then the final one was on the road to, since he is going down, and it it was for one of their field goals. I can't remember which one. But James Brooks, their wide receiver, he catches this ball on the sideline and is clearly 
out of bounds. Clearly, he the well, what happens is he catches the ball. So Boomer Esiason, they're marching down, and they, they end up scoring a field goal on this drive. They're marching down, and they pass the ball to James Brooks, one of their wide receivers. He ca- He's fumbling the ball, but when he has control, he has one foot inbounds, and the second foot lands out of bounds. And right at the sideline, and they called it. A, they they called it a fair catch. And even the commentators at the time said, "Well, that's not going to need a review. That looks like a fair catch to me." And then on the replay, a couple minutes later, like, "Oh yeah, he's clearly out of bounds." Like it's just. I also like how these old school these 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 old school commentators. They were great, by the way. But these commentators, they don't exactly know what's going on or what's happening during the uh, during the the broadcast. They're like, "He's clearly in bounds. Yeah, that's not going to need a review." And then later on, like, "Oh." That actually, yeah, he's actually out of bounds because <laughs> they see the re- the replay. So those are the three nominees. What do you think were the best get lucky moments there that we got? They got real lucky, the 49ers. I think the pick in the end zone is probably the one that stood out to me the most. By the way, those announcers were Dick Enberg and Merrill Olson. Dick Enberg, a long, long time guy. To be honest, I prefer the tandem that ends up commentating and on the ensuing Super Bowl, which we all know is the infamous uh, Pat Summerall and John Madden. It's just a way, way better cast because you have you have a former pro former pro breaking down plays with an and a, a consummate professional commentator in Pat Summerall, just a great tandem. You know, you could even argue uh unlucky play was the Mike Kofer missed field goal forty nine yards. Um, perhaps lucky if you're a Bengals fan if at that point in the game. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Lewis Phillips dropped past the end zone without question. So now let's go to the Malcolm Butlers, Raymond. Uh, so we've created this section because Malcolm Butler was benched last year mysteriously. I don't know if we're ever going to know the answer. He did not play in the game, and therefore we, let's. You kind of listed several already at the beginning, but go through that. Go through the full list of the Malcolm Butlers that the for Cincy, the guys who didn't play the game. Go through that list. Well, the main one is Stanley Wilson, who was their third running back on, and the Bengals this season were the best rushing offense in the NFL. They led the league in in yardage. They 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 were like number one in almost every statistical running category and stanley wilson had been up and down battling uh drug addiction but he he was a part of uh, uh the wild card round against the seattle seahawks this is back when the seahawks were in the afc and he had 40, 45 yards and two touchdowns and he helped the Bengals advance and then he kind of had a relapse in his drug addiction, and he on the eve of the Super Bowl he got benched, and was not part of the three man, the three headed monster that they were hoping to bring into this game to really keep the Niners' defense off balance. So James Brooks is a quick, shifty receiver. Icky Woods was more of a power back, but also had good speed. And then you had uh, Wilson, who was kind of a mixture. And or at least that's my interpretation. And so having him not be a part of that, I thought was a huge component, Um, not to mention the fact that Tim Crumry, their best nose, all pro nose tackle goes down on the 14th play of the game. So these are two, two huge, huge components. One who doesn't never sees a, a second of the field 
because of his own stupidity. And then the second one for just an unlucky play where he breaks a couple bones in his legs. But it happens to be a very pivotal piece to the Bengals defense. Kind of a what if because like he was disrupting Joe Montana up until that point on the previous series. They were a three and out. And so the to me the Stanley Wilson one stands out a lot because they he was a part of the running attack. While he got he didn't get the lion's share of touches, he was certainly a part of the the running attack, much like uh much like Tom Rathman was uh, to our game. Although in this case uh, he wasn't even a part of it. So again, another missing component. Would that have helped Boomer Esiason get more time because we would have the Niners? We would have kept the Niners honest about respecting the Bengals' running game. And for the most part, I think they played them pretty well. And without that third component, I think there's a missed opportunity in the Bengals' running potency because of it. And he had a really good game in the previous playoff game. So it's not like he was playing bad. Um, or, or Three touchdowns, playing. three touchdowns yeah. in two, in two games. Yeah. So, I mean, he was on a hot streak coming into the Super Bowl, and unfortunately just couldn't, you know, couldn't keep his eyes off of uh, the ill favored prize. And it's funny because a lot of the players were angry and Chris Collinsworth made a bold request saying that they needed to win one for Stanley to which some players didn't quite take that the right way. They're like, who cares about this guy? This guy, you know, made a stupid decision instead of putting the team ahead of himself, he put himself ahead of the team. And now we're down a a key component of our offense because of that. And I think Chris Collinsworth, you know, request was, you know, well-intentioned, but I think ill-timed given the nature of why Wilson wasn't playing in the first place. So just a lot of little, just a little bit of controversy heading into the Super Bowl for the Bengals, but they still had a lot riding for them. They had nine pro bowlers on that team, most of them on offense, several of them on defense, including two offensive tackles that were uh, pro bowlers. Boomer Esiason was the NFL MVP. They had all-star wide receiver. They had uh, all-star safety, all-star corner, all-star nose tackle. They had players all over the place at every level of position contributing at the highest level of play that season. So it's not like Wilson wasn't a pro bowler. So it's not like they lost one of their best players. They just lost an important cog to an already efficient machine, you know. So the machine still was able to function well, but I just feel like because of the pressure that Boomer Sison had to take on during that game with getting sacked five times, and not that's not even including all the hurries and pressures and hits, I wonder if having Stanley Wilson in that backfield to offset some of the passing plays, I think I wonder if that would have kept the Niner defense or the Niner pass rush a little bit more honest because they would have had to factor in a third running back in addition to Icky Woods and James Brooks. You know, but of course, that's a what if. We'll never truly know. And it didn't matter because we're the best and we won. All right, so number eight, Raymond, the Bill Walsh Mafia tree. Break down some of the coaching connections between the teams. Um, this is a great one because, as we know, Bill Walsh is the most influential coach in NFL history. His legacy is still being uh, seen and played out in coaching styles throughout the NFL, even to this day. 
Bill Belichick, this is something that Bill Belichick has never been able to replicate. All of his coaches that have come from Bill Belichick have gone on to other teams or college level and have done mediocre or terrible. And that's one of the reasons probably why Josh McDaniels never goes anywhere because he he has a desire to coach, but the first time he did it, he was horrible. I'm not sure he's ever going to overcome that. I think he's just going to stay put. I would if I was him because I know he'd do terrible otherwise. And Bill Belichick is the most winningest coach out there. He's the you know the Don Shula of this era, but he certainly could never hold a candle to Bill Walsh. Nobody can. He's just the greatest, most influential coach ever, and we can see that in the staff. The defensive coordinator was George Seaver. Not to say that the Bengals didn't have some some names over there too, but George Seifert obviously goes on to win a couple Super Bowls, one of which is more or less the same team that plays in this Super Bowl in the, the next season. And George Seifert obviously is a Hall of Fame coach. The offensive coordinator for this game was Mike Holmgren. As we know, Mike Holmgren goes on to win a Super Bowl and goes to two Super Bowls with Brett Favre and turns Brett Favre's career into a Hall of Fame career. But check this out. The wide receiver coach, Dennis Green. We all know the, the, the fiery Dennis Green, who actually went on to be a pretty good coach in Minnesota. He just couldn't get to the big game, but he, he was in the playoffs quite a bit and had a great team behind him. Defensive back coach Ray Rhodes. Ray Rhodes ended up becoming uh, a, a decent head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, but never could quite get to the big show. But either way, these are all coaches that went on to make names for themselves in the NFL. Um, on the other side of the of the of the, of the the sideline, we have uh, Sam Weish, who was the coach for the Bengals for uh, from like 83 to like 80, 90 or something like that. I can't remember. But he was the 49ers wide receiver coach from 79 to 82 when they won their first title. And the defensive coordinator for Sam Weish during his entire stretch as the Bengals head coach was uh, Dick LeBeau, the famous defensive coordinator that still coaches to this day. He's now 147 years old, still coaching. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing Amazing run he's had. Obviously, we uh, those of you who are maybe a little bit younger that listen to the cast recognize, might recall Dick LeBeau as being the infamous defensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a very long time uh, during their uh, staunch, you know, stingy defensive uh, runs you know, during the Kevin Green, Greg Lloyd era, the Rod Woodson era, even the the, the some of the eras with uh, Mike Tomlin, and I uh, think now he coaches with. Uh, I think he's with the Panthers or somebody. He's with. He's not with Pittsburgh anymore. That's just for this season. You know, George Seifert becomes the head coach the next season. Mike Holmgren eventually goes and coaches elsewhere, and then Mike Shanahan is somewhere in there as a position coach. And Mike Shanahan eventually becomes the offensive coordinator, and we all know that he goes on to do some great things too. So a lot of the coaches from this tree go on to do amazing things. I believe John Gruden had a very small position during this 80s run when he started to first get involved in the NFL. And, you know, he obviously went on to do great things. There's so many. Well, let's 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 save let's save it to this game. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about those other guys later. Yeah, we'll talk about those other guys later. All right. So now, Raymond, here is the next category. The best play of the game. Now, me and Raymond kind of had a discussion about this because the most iconic moment isn't necessarily the best play, right? Sometimes when we do this, they'll probably be the same thing. But in this case, they're definitely not. The most iconic moment actually happens in a huddle during the TV timeout. But let's talk about the nominees for the best play of the game. 
So here's the first one. So Lee Johnson is the punter for Cincinnati. This play was amazing. I had no memory of this play. This play was insane. He hits a 60-yard punt. Immediately, that becomes the record for the longest punt ever kicked in a Super Bowl. John Taylor, it it bounces between John Taylor's hands. Again, John Taylor, a little, little, little wobbly here. It goes past him, behind him. He runs back about, I don't know, five to ten yards, picks up the ball, and then returns it for 47 yards. It, like, he looked it just done and in the dust. And he picks up the ball and returns it back. That's my first nominee for play of the game. Uh, any thoughts on that on that play? Because that play is amazing. First of all, I thought it was very ill-advised to take a punt that had gotten away from his initial anticipation, track it down backwards, and try to pick it up and run with it. I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And as soon as he grabbed the ball and turned around, there was a guy in his face and basically had a split second to juke the guy and somehow jukes the guy and then goes off for nearly 50 yards. I mean, he only had one one or two guys to beat and he would have taken it to the house. And I thought this was a really good play. If we were Bengals fans, we would certainly uh, nod to the the 90-yard run that actually ended up in a score to swing the momentum back into their favor late in the game. But uh, this is a 49ers podcast, so who cares? John Taylor, it's amazing. And <laughs> to me, to me, uh, uh, this was a pretty phenomenal, pretty phenomenal play because, again, I hadn't seen the game in years, so I did not remember anything outside of the, the winning drive. I, I, I honestly did not. And so seeing all this again just kind of brought everything back. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't – I can't – I I didn't remember that John Taylor had taken a play that, you know, any coach would have said, don't ever do that again, you know, or I can't believe he's about to do this. And then you're like – even then, I know a lot of coaches, and Bill Walsh is, is one of them coaches that might have would have said, like, you know, that was a great play, but you got really lucky. Don't do that shit again. <laughs> it'd be, <laughs> totally. It'd be like one of those situations. <laughs> All right, so here's the next one. The next best play of the game, every Ronnie Lott tackle. <laughs> that's my next that's my next vote. The next play, Bill Romanowski's interception, rookie season to end the Boomer Esiason's attempt at another score. He intercepts the ball. This is pretty late in the game, too. This is somewhere hovering late third, mid-fourth, maybe. This is somewhere in there. Do you remember exactly when that play occurred? But Bill Romanowski's huge interception that kills the Bengals' drive. This was gigantic. This is one of the biggest defensive plays of the game. I can tell you right now, uh, because there's a bunch of timestamps on the NFL game, and it's about an hour and 11 minutes into the game. And two minutes, 29 seconds left in the play. Boomer rolls out to his left, throws... And Bill Romanowski dropped back into coverage, tips the ball up, and was able to 
to get uh, get the pick and and came down with it. And he was pumped after this game. I mean, as a rookie getting drafted by the 49ers and going to the Super Bowl in your rookie season, he went twice with the 49ers in that season, then got traded to the Broncos and ended his career with two more titles to his name. Would have had a fifth had the Raiders won in 2002. But yeah, either way, pretty awesome moment. Bill Romanowski actually had a lot of tackles uh, that game too. He was he was did really well defensively. He was also all over the place. This is when he was young and had really good speed. Um, this was a great play. Okay, I can I found it. Third quarter, two minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah. So that's, towards the that's, end. Yeah, towards the end. Yeah, so you, you were it, on the nose there. Yeah. Yeah, Boomer, Boomer. It, they're on the nineteen yard line. In the red zone, and then he he uh, then it's it's uh the, he was it was intended for Tim McGee. Bill Romanowski intercepts the ball. That was one of my big plays. The next one, and I'm gonna uh, Jennings' 93 yard return is the is the next one that I that 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 I, I put on here. But you know what? This isn't the Bengals cast, so I'm already knocking it off. <laughs> just like that, it's gone. And just like that, it's gone. Rice's huge 44-yard run after the kickoff, the kickoff return touchdown. The big, the big play he has that 44-yard run that sets up the second, the the very first touchdown for the 49ers, uh, which is followed by Craig's follow-up catch that gets them into the red zone. I thought those were two huge, huge plays, and of course, then that's followed up with Rice's touchdown after the John Taylor almost interception. That those 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 three plays right there are, are almost in succession. You've got Rice takes it 44 yards. Craig takes us into the end zone. We have the the pass to John Taylor that's almost intercepted and then we throw it to Jerry Rice and he makes the touchdown. Any three of those plays were gigantic. You know, all nominees for best play of the game. And then of course the John Taylor touchdown to 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 end the game. What is your what is your winner for best play of the game? Well, first of all, those are good, right? They're yeah. all tough. Uh, the the 44-yard catch by Jerry Rice who had been nursing an ankle, a sprained ankle uh prior to this and sat out a couple practices per Bill Walsh leading up to this point. Actually got up with a little bit of a limp after that particular catch because it was slightly underthrown, but despite being underthrown, had the perfect touch in terms of ball placement where only Rice could jump up and get it. All he had to do was uh, be a couple of steps ahead of his defender, which he was. And there was uh, there was safety coverage coming over from over the top, too, because it was a deep throw. And he ended up getting it, falling down, and came up with a little bit of a limp. Brent Jones walks up to him, and you know he's clearly asking if he's all right. And Jerry's like, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And that play stands out. I mention it because of all of those factors going into it, knowing I had the context prior to watching that play. So seeing it, knowing that information prior to actually makes it even more impressive. Uh, However, uh, for me, uh, the John Taylor one kind of really sticks out too because of the significance of the play. I mean, how, how much more significant can you get than the game winning score? You know, and and that's there's there's no there's no other context to that. It's not like he had an ankle or anything like that. It was just like, nope, the call was to him, and Joe Montana had to throw a perfect pass down the middle. So intermediate throws down the middle are very difficult. And and Taylor was Taylor was angry the play before 
which was to Jerry Rice because he had missed the block that would have allowed Jerry Rice to get into the end zone. And if you watch the play before the Rice, John Taylor is pounding. The, so here's some so here's some some cool context with that. John Taylor is pounding the grass because he's angry at himself for not getting the executing the block better that would have allowed Jerry Rice to score, but instead makes up for it by being the sure-fired hands in the, on the next call and catching the game-winning touchdown. So sure, you might have missed a key block that could have given us a score to Jerry, but you end up being the man to make the score on the very next play. So any, and that was a positive play. It's not like the Jerry Rice play was a botched play. It was a good play. We got positive yards. We ended up getting, then it became a first and goal situation. So we were even closer because of that catch. Um, that was just the mindset of the players on this team. It was always, everyone does, no, no matter what your role is, whether it's a block in this case, you know, everyone wanted to contribute to the best of their ability. And John Taylor was very animated in not feeling like he, he didn't do his, his part in this play, but he certainly did it on the very next play. Yeah, I think this is a no-brainer too. I think the, that touchdown, he only caught one catch in the entire game, and it was the most important catch and was probably the best play of the game. My second, honestly, I think maybe not best play of the game, but most impressive was the was the the punt return that he did. That play just I thought that play was jaw dropping. I was like, what? I was blown away. When Goldcast Nation, when you go and watch this game, that that play is bananas. It's it's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Happened it happened in a Super Bowl and yeah, Taylor Taylor did probably made the dumbest decision ever, but it it worked. It actually worked, and it was pretty impressive. But yeah, I, I I'd say that's probably the the most impressive play. But yes, we are in agreement. All right, so last last little section. These are my favorite commentator quotes. These are our favorite commentator quotes. The funniest things that these guys said during the game after the Montana fumble. The O-line and the D-line, they start chopping it up. They get into like a big argument. The refs have to separate them. And then one of the one of the I don't know who was saying what. So I'm I, we're we're not gonna be able to go that far. I don't know these guys' voices. But the one of the announcers says uh that they're quote talking talking more than about their talking uh talking about more than just their vacation plans. That was one. The next one <laughs> guy says after Ronnie Lott does that huge tackle, he says Ronnie Lott has knocked him out himself out half a dozen times making that kind of tackle. <laughs> just like, <laughs> which is just just a total total uh total uh, submission of the fact that it's, you know, it's uh he's just literally giving himself concussions to the point where he's knocking yes. himself out. Not even a big deal. Not a big deal in this era. Not has knocked himself out half a dozen times making that kind of tackle. Totally okay. Totally normal. No one's bothered by it. Uh next one Someone says, I just don't think anyone can cover Jerry Rice man-to-man. Next Great one. line. Great line. This other one is, this one's amazing. I can't believe this was actually said in a professional football game. Lot, and this is a reference to Ronnie Lott, who makes another huge tackle. Lot is just that, a lot of football player. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great a one. A pun on his name. Lot is just that, a lot of football player. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> the next one. The man with the smallest foot in football. This is in reference to Jim Breach, who was the kicker for Cincinnati. It was the first time he comes on for his first field goal. Yeah, who who wore, for for further context, he wore a a size 5 on his kicking foot because he wanted maximum tightness uh, around that foot and wanted 
wanted complete wanted to as much leverage around the, and the other foot was like eight, eight size eight or something it's, like that. It sounds so painful. It does. So painful. Is this his last game in reference to Bill Walsh? Then this next one, uh, Joe Montana runs for a first down. It's like, I think it might be his only run play of the game. Montana's 32 years young, but he's still light on his feet. <laughs> I like how he's 32 years young, but still. Not and still, but still. Next one. This is in reference to a, a defensive player for the for the Bengals who made, who made a sack, Barney Bussey. He goes, that just sounds like a football player, doesn't it? Barney Bussey. That's <laughs> just <it's> ridiculous. <laughs> The next one, this is in reference to Jerry Rice. Human highlight film. The next one, uh, also in reference to Jerry Rice. I had to ask Raymond what this was because I had no idea what this was. He could catch a BB at midnight. And I was like, a, a, what's a, a BB? And then Ray explained to him what a BB at midnight is. Uh, literally a BB gun. A tiny little aluminum pellet from a BB gun that Rice was so good that someone could shoot a BB gun pellet at night and Jerry Rice would still find it and catch it. <laughs> that was great. The next one, this is a, in the final two minutes. The 49ers may be the most dangerous in this two-minute situation. They can roll on you. Then after John Taylor catches this touchdown, I love this is this is probably my favorite quote besides the Ronnie Lott knocking himself out. John Taylor, who sells cars in the offseason for Reggie Jackson, has just hit the home run for the 49ers. <laughs> that's that's amazing. During that era when you who needed sells a second cars in the offseason off for Reggie Jackson. Yes. You needed a, a, a sec. If you weren't the, the the number one player on that team, even the league minimum required you to have a second job in the offseason. Oh my mighty, ha, my have the times have changed. Yeah, I love that. Wow. John Taylor, who sells cars in the offseason for Reggie Jackson, is just at a home run for the 49ers. That was great. Then the next, right after his first catch of the day, but the biggest catch of the day. That's a good one too. And then, and then as they're kind of, you know, all cheering on the sideline, the, the, my, also one of my top quotes, Montana has to be the best big time quarterback I've ever watched play. And then the last one, and this is actually where the video completely cuts out. The the last one, Bill Walsh will get the ride. We wonder if it's his last as head coach. And then, and then the. The, the broadcast fades to black, and that's the end of the broadcast. Those are our favorite commentator quotes. Ray, which one stands out to you? What's probably your favorite? I love the one on uh, John Taylor, all the John Taylor ones. A, referencing the fact that he has a secondary job in the offseason, and that, that, like, in other words, like, he had, like, <laughs> he's not good enough to, like, make ends meet <laughs> as a pro, but he, he's, he's, you know, solidifying at least moments, highlight moments in his career by catching, you know, making the biggest catch of the game. <laughs> so it's like, did you really have to go and mention the fact that he has a secondary job in the off season? Yeah. And it's like, come on, just say like, you know, it's like, 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 I don't know. It's almost, it's almost condescending in a way. <laughs> but I like that. And But they also make up for it by saying like, hey, you know, his first catch of the day, but the biggest catch of the day. You know, I thought that was a great one. Yeah, that was a great one. That that was that's great. 
the and then a, a lot the a lot of football pun was just oh crazy. that was too much that was too much i was laughing so hard during the game i, I and, going through these makes me excited for you know the future ones we plan to watch because i know i got some some pretty some pretty uh favored broadcasters coming up in some of our future plans for this this cast and i'm less like oh man i can't wait to hear the whoppers coming out of these guys mouths <laughs> yeah. go over these games <laughs> oh yeah they're gonna be great they're gonna be really really good so any any final thoughts raymond uh on the on on super bowl 23 I, i'm glad we did this so as we mentioned before and then uh, then we're gonna pass it to ray I, I like how i asked raymond and then immediately went on a, a rant here <laughs> so but as I've mentioned before, we did Super Bowl twenty three because it's just my personal favorite Super Bowl. And I was like, you know, we, we'd had this idea. We wanted to do these these deep dives, what we're going to call the gold dives, and uh, these deep dives into these games and just kind of really peel them apart and look at what happened and, and look at them from different perspectives and just kind of celebrate these games that I think a lot of our younger 49er fans, they, they don't know a whole lot about them. They may have seen the games. I mean, they know we've, they, we've won the games. But they, re- if you weren't living in this era, this is probably a lot of new information. It was new information for me, and and I just thought, well, let's just start with what I have always seen as the most iconic Super Bowl, which is Super Bowl twenty three. But let us know in the comments what game you want to hear us do. We already have our list, but we're open to people giving us new lists. So you tell us what games you want to see us do deep gold dives on. And we will definitely take them, and we will we will we'll find the games, and we'll do them. And if you have links to the games, send us the links. Send us the links to the games. But we are going to give the link to Super Bowl 23. It's only an hour and 40 minutes. We'll have the link in the description of this on YouTube. Yeah, everything's right? cut out, so no commercials, not even the halftime show, which was a fiasco to watch in and of itself. We I can't believe did, we didn't talk about we that. Did watch, <laughs> we did watch that after the fact, just out of curiosity because it wasn't involved in, in the, the condensed version. But it's an hour and 50, 49 minutes, so it's it's just football. Um, even even the injuries timeouts um, are cut. So it's it's pretty bare bones. So if you want to just get to the the... the, the get to the nitty-gritty of the game it's exactly what the nfl provided in this broadcast it's pretty awesome yeah it's basically the length of a movie you know of a hour you know it's an hour and 50 minutes great but raymond final thoughts what are your final thoughts on super bowl 23 just that it was a brilliant performance in what was otherwise a 49ers for the most part dominated the five super bowls that they played in uh, defensively, they dominated the Bengals, but for whatever reason, the Bengals were the only team that they played that gave them a good run for their money. Both the scores here were almost, uh, both Super Bowl wins over the Bengals were almost identical. There's only like a one-point difference between the two scores and, and two for the Bengals, two different eras. For the Niners, partially different eras in terms of uh, roster personnel. Yeah, I do. And I think this game is so cool, again, because of just the mythos of the John Candy drive. The John Candy drive was was pretty amazing. And it was just iconic, an iconic story that was presented in the movie Draft Day and is something that I think will just live on into the legend. And I think is probably one of the most legendary moments of the John Joe Montana mythos is the John Candy drive and the John Candy story. And I, I, was, I just thought it was a perfect one. I'm glad, I'm glad we did this. 
yeah, I'm hoping you guys enjoyed it as well. Let us know your feedback in the comments in case you have any feedback for whatever. Whatever, if you saw the game and or if you have your own recollection of the game and you want to chime in on maybe things we didn't mention or things that stood out to you, uh, definitely want to hear from you in the comments section as always, uh, no matter what platform you take a look at it at. But um, for sure, definitely uh, probably the most probably the most famous of the Super Bowl wins because of how dramatic it was from beginning to end. Um, yes. So uh, definitely cool. Not to say that the other ones weren't great. Those ones are awesome too, especially because you kicked the shit out of everybody else. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So next month we will be doing a new one. We'll be doing these once a month. So, you know, usually around the last week of the month, we figure this is a great time to do it. Um, in between the 49er season. And when the 49er season's here, we're not going to be doing these. So this is only going to, these special episodes will only be happening in between the 49er seasons. We go back and we will, we will, we will, we're going to start with the Niners, but we're going to work our way through the Warriors. We'll work our way through the Giants. And we're going to, it's not going to just be iconic games. It's going to be iconic eras. It'll be players, you know. We're, we're, there's a lot of things we're gonna we're gonna cover, but we're gonna start with the games. We're gonna start with just some of our favorite games, and we're not gonna tell you what the next one's gonna be, but it's gonna be really good. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about it. Me and Raymond have already discussed what the game is gonna be. It's gonna be really good. All right, uh, before we get out of here, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can follow me on Instagram at raceelise one, as well as Twitter at raceelise. And you can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3 and then on Twitter at Rudy Solis 3RD. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis the Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the First, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. Coach, you're gonna go, you know, it's it's to rise now. At the 10-yard line, 39 seconds remaining.